being a, you know, being a student was not easy for me. And I remember interviewing for colleges when I was a senior in high school and talking to the director of admissions for a small liberal arts school. And we were having a conversation and he leaned forward to me and said, I just want you to know that your SAT scores don't mean that you're mentally retarded. I knew I wasn't mentally retarded, but I I certainly didn't do well on my SATs. And um, kind of fast forward to when my daughter was in first grade, she started to struggle. She struggled with reading. And my wife is an elementary school teacher. And so when someone said, well, just read with your daughter more, it was kind of an insult because I think my wife read to my daughter every single day of her life. And it took a little while to find the right intervention. But when we did, um, she was diagnosed with being dyslexic. As I kind of worked with that and understood and read I realized, well, of course, this is my story, too, of, of struggling and not being able to learn like others learn. And I think I had enough support at home and encouragement to stick with school and work at it that um, it worked out for me. But it also kind of set up for me ways in which I was very, I didn't like to write because it was hard for me. I had trouble doing that and to stand in front of people and feel like I could speak and know what I was talking about was kind of scary. And it took a long time. And I think focusing in my own personal life really helped me to realize, oh, these are just some places I get stuck. And if I can be with that uncomfortable, shaky feeling or some of those fears, I can take steps to do a little more and feel a little more confident and bring my voice forward. And that's been a slow process, but um, that's an area where focusing has really helped me. And of course there's people with. Can I, can I stop you a little bit? This is very, very very beautiful and very rich. And I want to to slow it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're talking about uh, your personal experience that you know came to the fore even more um, when you saw your daughter and realized it was dyslexia. And so that kind of also helped you make sense of what had been happening to you. Um, and you're describing how um, you're handling the challenges with focusing. And um, this to me seems like a wonderful place where we can explain the experience of what it's like to do focusing for people who don't necessarily know what focusing is about. Ah, mm -hmm. And so if you're willing, maybe we can just go slowly there um, because I might, you know, give a great idea of what it's about without necessarily saying, okay, here's how you do focusing. But here's what happens to Jeffrey, you know, when he's using it. And the context you describe is you say, you know, this is a challenge. This is difficult. And so part of the context in which you're doing the focusing is kind of a slowing down uh, in order to be able to get a little bit more of a grip in the moment and to potentially go a little farther 
than you would if you were just in automatic pilot. Yes. You know, so, so this being said, you want to kind of describe either a, a specific moment or an archetypal example of that. Sure. Well, I'll give a, a simple, I think, um, example, and it's not one that's too far, too long ago. Um, so I teach focusing, and um, I usually do that in a weekend format here in my studio, and I was getting ready for a, a workshop um, a couple of years ago or so, and there's always a little anxiety thinking about all the things I need to do, but I realized that there was more sort of worry and um, anxiety and kind of storytelling in my own head about the upcoming workshop than seemed like it really fit. And I think this is one of the, the bits of focusing and working with a focusing perspective that is helpful, that when there's a situation that has more of a charge to it than really merits the particulars, that's usually connected to something in our past. That's usually connected to where maybe there was a trauma or a stoppage. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to work with one of my focusing partners. Well, let, me, let me just stop you again for a moment. Just sure. noticing that what's happening is um, there is, you know, it starts with that element of awareness, like an observing self, um, where in addition to being in a certain state, there's a little part of you that's able to notice, you know, "Mm, I'm a bit something, maybe agitated, whatever, a concern, something. Uh, And that something, uh, you know, I have enough perspective from that place to know that it's not quite appropriate for the situation. So there's that level of awareness. Yeah. That there's um, that sense that the uncomfortable feeling that we might call the problem or the difficulty carries both the the sense of what doesn't feel right, but it also carries implicitly what would feel right. And that's part of the, the brilliance of working with a felt sense and focusing of when we can feel regulated and safe enough to enter what feels dysregulated or a little shaky inside and really listen to that, that's when something can come that really carries the process forward. Yeah, yeah. And so after... So sorry, again, sorry to interrupt you again, but I want to highlight something because, uh, you know, I think that implicit in what you said is uh, something that it requires a little bit of experience or that there is a benefit to experience. Because you were saying, uh, after working with focusing, you have a little bit more of that sense of what feels appropriate, what does not feel appropriate. So um, so there is something where, uh, as you have done more focusing, you have developed a database which gives you uh, the ability to refer to that internal database in order to have a sense of what might be appropriate and what is not. And I'm saying that uh, just because potentially somebody who listens to that might say, oh, I don't have that impression or I couldn't do it. And so in a way, 
uh, we want to tell people, you know, if you don't do it at first, you know, it's not that there's something wrong with you or you can't do it, but it takes some doing it in order to develop that ability. Um, absolutely. And I think that's a key place where we sit with what is uncomfortable and we listen to it. And most people can, you know, take a step back and observe and be with that. But then there's this place where sometimes we just have to pause and wait for something more to come. And that is a really different kind of experiencing because it just sometimes feels like there's, you know, there's not an answer. Nothing comes quickly. It's just kind of a blank space. And we have to kind of dwell there. We have to, as Gene Genlin would say, kind of go there before there's even a something there. And it may feel a little blank at first, but, I call that sort of working with an edge where we just have to keep going to that edge and kind of holding the space for something more to come. And this is where I think the the meditation and mindfulness is so helpful of just holding space that that space is so necessary for something new to come. And that's that kind of working with the right hemisphere, which is this much slower body sensing of subtle qualities that take time for us to know that, oh, if we stay with them, we can name them. We can symbolize them. We can come up with words or maybe a gesture or maybe a memory comes. Or So again, sorry, I'm going to stop you a little bit before going there because um, we're talking then about that pausing, that moment of um, uh, just allowing space, making space. And um, what you're pointing out uh, is it's about uh, staying with the not knowing, staying with the uncertainty, staying with nothing present, uh, going someplace before there is something there. And uh, in just talking about it in everyday language, it might seem like it's no big deal. But actually, it is something that can create a certain sense of anxiety, you know, however small. Um, That's something that, you know, we tend to, uh, in everyday mode, if we don't find something to hang on to, just kind of go to the next thing. Uh, Or uh, So even though in talking about it, it seems simple, um, unless we develop that ability there is a tendency for many of us to actually speed through that. And so it's not an obvious thing. And it's really part of what the skill is, 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 uh, is, is about is to stay with that moment, knowing that it's going to be somewhat difficult uh, or it could be somewhat difficult to stay there because of that uncertainty. Absolutely. So in, in my story, um, I, had time um, with a focusing partner and we, um, she did a very nice job of listening to me. And I, of course, 
began with all the things that I already know that are going on and that I could already explain. And I'm feeling this way because of the workshop. And, and um, these are all the things I already know. And after I spent 10 minutes or so kind of racing a bit with what I already knew, I took the time to just keep sitting with, okay, I know that, but what, what is it that I don't know and would be helpful to just be with here? And slowly there was a sense of a very young part, a very sort of little boy part for me, and the image was playing at a sandbox behind my house when I was, you know, four years old. Mm. And this little four-year-old does not like being in front of people. He'd much rather be doing his play by himself, doing his little thing. And he really was angry about the sense of being in front of people. Now I know. Um, so, sorry, uh, can I interrupt you again? So um, we're going by you know little by little because to somebody who is aware about what focusing is, it feels very obvious. But I just uh, want to highlight. So, so you were talking here about something where you first, as you were talking to your focusing partner, came up with this and this and that, and this was a story that made total sense, but that you already knew. Uh, and again, in ordinary life, uh, we're equipped to just, if it's part of something we know, great, 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 moving on, moving on, and it's done. Um, and so here, there is a little bit of, uh, uh, again, a training uh, that what focusing is about, is to pay attention to maybe what is not known, what is there. And so, uh, and the reason you do that is not simply uh, forcing um, the fact that, oh, we always are going to pay attention to what is not known. But something had disturbed you. You had that experiences, and that's why you chose to focus on it. So then that something that created that felt sense of there's something there and you decided to focus on alerts you that there's going to be more to it than the obvious story that you know about it. So you're going to, therefore, be curious about going beyond that ordinary story. Yes. In and, and as you did, uh, that came that image of yourself or that sense, not necessarily an image, that felt sense of you as a little boy who's playing in the sandbox and who's not really too comfortable about being the center of attention. So do you want to describe a little bit about, you know, how it comes about? Uh, you know, is it, Sure. So in the saying what I already know about the situation, if that, I mean, and that's all true, I could say many things about that that I already knew, but do I feel any different after explaining all that? And I didn't. And what I want to do is have a deeper sense of what is this situation that I feel and if all the explanation doesn't really do anything other than describe what's on top, it doesn't make any difference in here in my body, well, then I have to kind of pause and really sense, okay, I've said all that. I can set that aside. 
what more is here? And in that pausing and kind of receptive state, that's where kind of funny words come, a funny phrase, a metaphor, an image, a memory. And, and that, and, and so for my, when my image of this little boy playing in a sandbox, it's like, oh yeah, that one, that aspect of it feels painful to be in front of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a painful to be in front of people when I was in school. I mean, I think I'm a shy person in recovery and I'm naturally introverted and with some of my learning issues and starting school a little early. It was always being in front of people is uncomfortable. So, so again, I'm using a slowing down moment. Um, um, you know, the image comes of that little boy. And without, you know, the kind of skill that we develop in focusing, you know, we might say have that image and then say, oh, yeah, little boy, and then move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you just described is actually staying with that image or that sense of the little boy and, and continuing to observe it so that uh, it's not just, okay, gone, but you're you're observing it, and then it's not just kind of a neutral observation, but there is also kind of an invitation to all kinds of interaction with it. Um, and so it's a, even though you could say it's a, it's a sort of contemplative process, uh, it's far from a passive process because there's a lot of processing that goes on there. Uh, and that you just, you know, in, in, and you provided a great example of it, you know, by describing what was happening inside. Yeah, when I teach meditation and focusing, I do a little comparing and contrasting of, of kind of the two modes of experiencing. And what they have in common is being able to step back from our experience and observe it. And in mindfulness or meditation, we recognize that we may have thoughts and feelings or stories. And once I sort of realize that I come back to my body, my breathing, and I let those go. But in focusing, it's a situation in which, oh, there is this particular situation and I want to interact with it. I also, you know, I don't want to be in it. I want to step back a little bit, but then that allows me to have a relationship with it and really listen to it from its perspective. So just, so, uh, sorry, I want to, again, highlight this. So a big difference, you know, while there is some similarity between meditation and focusing, we could say one difference would be that in meditation, you want to kind of step back from the experience. But in focusing, you're describing a sense of interaction with the experience. Yes. And very relational. Yeah, very relational. Yes. And this is one of the things that can make it difficult because those who have experienced great interruption in relationships also find it difficult to trust their relationship with themselves and believe that's something that they can really trust. So 
I think that's a lot of the work is working on this relational aspect of me with the client, the client with their own experience, the client and I keeping their experience company. Because that little boy or that past experience holds something about both the problem and the solution. Yeah. So, um, again, um, if you were simply reading about focusing in a technical manual and talking about you do this, you do this, you do that, um, what you would overlook is the fact that because focusing is very relational, it's very much about our relation to our, to our own experience, uh, it also carries within it all the effects of what has happened to us relationally and the notion of trust that we can have vis-a-vis ourselves, vis-a-vis our own experience. So that um, that stage of paying attention, contemplating the sense we have of something and, and staying with it and, and making sense of it is actually also um, something that involves a lot of trust, relationality, emotions, uh, and a lot of our past, uh, as opposed to simply being some kind of a neutral operation. Absolutely. And so in really listening to the little boy, in my experience, um, there was this you know, kind of big sense of don't put me in front of people. And so I listened to that, and in some way, okay, I I get that. But there's also something more about what that aspect of me really needed, because of course I'm going to do the workshop. So how do I do the workshop as me, Jeffrey Morrison, adult that's very capable of teaching a focusing workshop, and honoring this aspect of my experience well, again sorry i want to uh, stop you there because again the beauty of it here is um this is about insights but insights are not divorced from life and um it's actually the the beauty of this process is it's about i'm more in touch with what's happening and how what is my next step in life? How do I use that um, in terms of doing something in my life or not doing something? But it's really, you know, the, the, the whole process of focusing is based on a philosophy of process and interaction. So it's not about abstract knowledge, but it's about how am I going to use it? And so what you're describing is I have, I'm very much in touch with this part of me that says, no, don't put me in front of people. But at the same time, there's a part that knows I'm competent, I'm an adult, I'm good at teaching focusing, I'm going to do focusing. So how am I going to respect both in order to carry forward my life? Yeah, and so there's a knowing right there that this part of me is not all of me. It's... it's something that has a request there and the request is not to be put in front. And so I realize that doesn't mean I'm going to not teach. It really means that, Oh, 
this needs something special. This needs, oh, I'm not sure yet. And as I sit there, the image came of a, a small chair that's been handed down in my family that would fit, you know, a one or two-year-old, maybe a three-year-old in size. And what came was that I could place this chair kind of next to and behind where I sit, where I teach, and that that young part of me could be present because he really doesn't want to miss what's going on. He doesn't <laughs> want to be out in front. And so it, literally the chair sits over there next to the chair I sit in when I teach. I'll teach this weekend, and that little chair is right there. Yeah. And that small, young aspect of myself gets to be there and kind of listen, but doesn't need to be out front. Yeah. That my adult self, my bigger self, is free to do what I need to do in terms of teaching. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, here, you were faced with that problem of what do I do? And, and a dilemma, because there's two parts, and each has different needs or obligations or purposes. Um, and the attitude about resolving the conflict is not one of making lists of pros and cons or um, trying to deduce something in a logical way, but to sit with it. And uh, it's that sitting with it in that mindful place that allows for something to emerge. And at first, that something is not necessarily very clear. It's that little chair that's been transmitted in your family. And then as you stay with it, something starts to make sense that having that little chair behind you, uh, very present but behind you, is a way that the little part can be present without being in the forefront and that the relationship between the two parts can actually be managed in a way that both are respected, that, you know, there is functionality, but without forcing anything and uh, in a way having found a way of healing and paying attention to both needs. Yeah, and there's that um, experience in focusing where we might call it the shift or when something carries forward where, I mean, there's a very different feel of imposing an answer or, Oh, I should do this. And when something comes naturally, like the images I had, and there's this bodily relief, it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. I can do that. And that makes sense. Not, just on a cognitive level, but it makes sense because I feel how it's different in my body now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Relaxing, there's a, a smile, there's a deeper breath, there's a, oh, of course. Yeah. And of course, couldn't have been deduced logically. Yeah. And so, so that's um, a dimension, the nature of that thinking 
that um, you know uh, we notice we may not notice while we're in the process of dealing with the problem that there is a certain tension in it, but certainly uh, once it feels right, what we notice is how that tension, even if we had not noticed it before, kind of drops, and uh, ah, and so yeah. You know, something that feels right. And so, uh, you know, the less of that tension because in a way we're not in that striving mode or in that tense mode because, yeah, it's okay. That's it. Yes. So I think that story of mine is a good example. It's a simple example, but even when there are much more complex kinds of situations, it's the same kind of process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that there is um, clients sometimes will say, well, you know, why should I talk about the past? It's already over. I've talked about it before, but they usually have just explained a story. There's, the way that a situation still lives in them where experience has not fully been processed. And that when we dip back into that, something can come that's not just about back then, but it applies to their current situation that they're struggling with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you had a very nice phrase. You say something still lives in them. Yes. Um, and um, and so uh, in the example you just described, um, you certainly have been aware of the dyslexia, of a certain shyness, of not wanting to be at the forefront. So the issue itself, the historical issue in childhood was not news to you. Um, and what is happening is even though you had amply processed it, you know, those kinds of things still continue to affect us in some way. And um, what you have described in the process of focusing that we were going through right now is how something can still live in you and uh, a current difficulty, a current challenge uh, is something where it's kind of coming back to the forefront And that uh, focusing approach that you described uh, is a way that instead of experiencing it as a roadblock that we don't quite understand, we can kind of dance with it and then make sense of it in the present moment and kind of feel freer to, uh, to move forward. Yes. Yes. I was teaching um, last October the Advanced and Certification Week Long through the Focusing Institute, and I did a presentation on um, wounds and gifts. And so one of the activities I set up was, you know, finding a wound or a a trauma or a, a situation which affected you and looking for kind of what pulled you through that or 
you know, what you learn from that, whether strengths there. And one person um, had some difficulty. There was a lot of tears remembering um, an incident where she had been attacked by a dog when she was about three. And she came to me and we talked about it. And the next day we sat down and she said, you know, I know this happened to me. I've been able to explain the story before, tell the story. But yesterday, all these feelings came that I had never felt before, that I, at least not since that incident happened. And I think this is true of for a lot of us, that we can remember something or we have a story about it, but how it lives in us has not really had a chance to be worked through. And so we spent a little over an hour and and there was, you know, more story and detail about the attack. And then there was uh, this time where in her physiology, she, it really felt like she wanted to fight off the dog. And there was a lot of movement and that sort of carrying forward of, of the body and gestures But what really came at the end was, oh, I don't need my parents to take care of me in the way that they do. I'm a stronger, capable person now and can rely on myself. And so there was a message kind of from back as a small child when she had, she was attacked and had many corrective surgeries that she really had to rely on others. And so what really came forward was this, this strength in the, the present moment of, oh, it feels different now. I, I'm, I'm capable and I can stand on my own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of thing that we really want to help clients do is find that strength, not just to go back to rehash something, but there's something there that wants to come forward in the current situation. So, so maybe that's a good way to, to end um, this as we're focused on the experience of focusing. Um, of course, you do that as a therapist, but in this conversation, we focused on it as what happens as an individual. Um, and, uh, and noticing how that past situation, that past experience still lives in us. Um, and what you have beautifully described is how the process of focusing helps be in touch with that, but also lets it unfold Uh, in such a way as to find the appropriate response to the present moment. And I wanted to see if that feels like the right way to to put a handle to it, or if you want to put some different words to that. Hmm. That feels right. Because our, our living is about now. Yeah. And moving forward and yet there's ways that we have defaults sort of patterns or settings that get in the way of that and those are almost always linked to other events in our lives 
And so in the present, we're carrying that past as a living experience that can be accessed freshly in the present moment and lived forward with um, some new sense of it filling in or being more whole um, and bringing sort of our own uniqueness, vitality forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, Jeffrey. Oh, you're welcome, Serge. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com.